Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, it's so good to have all of you with us at all of our campuses this morning. I want to welcome Bluntstown, Shipley, Fairhope, Wakala, and Mariana. And like, can we just give it up to celebrate what God is doing at all of our campuses? Yeah, celebrate. God's doing amazing things, amazing things. Student ministry kicked off this past week, and there's just incredible things that started happening uh, already in student ministry. And so we just want to say thank you to all of you who serve at all of our campus, investing in the next generation, making sure the next gen is winning. It's just an incredible thing, and we just want to thank you so much for that. Now, this is our second week of your first-time guest with us today. This is our second week in our series entitled Welcome to Wonderland. And isn't that just a great question that we've been pondering since last week, and you heard it in the video again, and that is, what do you wonder? Because the truth is, we all wonder about those things that we just heard in the video, don't we? I mean, we wonder if our life will matter. We, we wonder what our purpose in life is. We wonder what our future will hold. And the reason we wonder is because every one of us, if you really stop and think about it, we want to make a difference with our lives. We all want our lives to matter. And as we discovered last week, we all want to be great at something. And wanting to be great, it's not a bad thing. In fact, Jesus never condemned his closest friends for pursuing greatness. Because here's the reality. We were created by God with the desire and the capacity for greatness. He, he wired us for doing something great for him. But here's the thing that we also learned last week together, and that is this. Jesus said that the way that we tend to pursue greatness, it is often flawed. In fact, the way that we tend to pursue greatness, it often tends to sabotage our God-given relationship without us even realizing it, which is why... Our pursuit of greatness, the way that we pursue greatness and purpose in 21st century America, it often leaves us very less than satisfied in life. Because see, when we buy into the fact or the idea that greatness, that fulfilling our purpose, it comes from some kind of power or some kind of prominence or significance or achievement and accomplish, I mean, what ends up happening is we normally end up basically empty-handed. And so as we said last week, the way that most of us pursue discovering our purpose is we do something like this, is we walk through life and we stare in a mirror and we focus on ourselves. And then we say something like this, well, if I could just figure out me, if I could just figure out what I want, if I, if I could just know God's purpose for my life, if, if I could just achieve my goals, then, then life would be good. And that's how we tend to go through life. The problem is, as long as we do life like this, we really miss what's really going on around us. I mean, we may see some of the other people around us, but really everybody just kind of stays in our peripheral because my viewpoint, it is ultimately about me. I stay the focus front and center in my life. But th this right here, it's not how we find our purpose. And it's not how we become great. Because see, we weren't created to be the center focus of our life. In fact, as we said last week, it's actually not about you. And thank you for coming back even after we said that. You know, that it's not about you. Because see, until we embrace that idea though, that it's really not about us and we shift our perspective to kind of look out the window instead of looking in the mirror. Our purpose will always just remain just beyond us. Now, here's the reality. 
Ma- making life about us it isn't just an American problem. It's not just a 21st century problem. And as we learned last week, it actually is a humanity kind of problem. I mean, even Jesus' closest friends, his closest followers, they had a hard time really grasping this idea. Because like us, they, they wanted their lives to matter. They wondered if their lives would matter. And like many of us, they pursued understanding their, their purpose and understanding greatness by focusing on themselves. Matter of fact, a big part of the reason that they stuck with Jesus for like three years through the good times and through the bad times, through the weird times and through the hard times, is because they incorrectly assumed that Jesus had come to take over and to overthrow Rome's control of Israel. And their mindset was, after he's kind of upended Roman rule, then they were sure that Jesus was going to set up like this earthly kingdom and he was going to rule the world and guess who was going to rule with him? Of course, his closest friends. I mean, those people that are closest to him. And so these followers, they're they're thinking, man, we have a ticket straight to the top. I mean, greatness, meaning, purpose, prominence, significance. I mean, it's just waiting for us. See, here's here's why they struggled to understand what Jesus was teaching, because that was their mindset. It's why whenever Jesus would teach them things, they wouldn't get it. It's why when he would do certain things, it was like they couldn't quite understand it, because they literally lived their lives filtering everything by looking through the mirror. And see, they just couldn't clearly see, because they're looking through the mirror, they couldn't see by like looking out the window, the wonderland around them of God's great purpose for their life. So here's what happened. The the night of Jesus' arrest, I mean, he's with them in the upper room, and and they're enjoying like the Passover meal, and, and it's kind of at the end of an extraordinary week. In fact, over the past seven days, and we started looking at this last week, Jesus has brought a man by the name of Lazarus back to life who was like dead for three days. Hundreds of people have become witness to this, and they've begun following Jesus about, you know, because of his popularity through this event, this miracle. And then Jesus does something that is absolutely astonishing to everyone, and he decides that he's going to go to Jerusalem. And so he and his disciples, they go to Jerusalem, and when they get to Jerusalem, there's like, they're met with like several hundred people like lining the streets, they're celebrating him as the Jews longed, awaited Messiah. And so Jerusalem is like packed with all these people as well to celebrate the Passover. And there's all this buzz about Jesus. I mean, in some ways, while the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they want to kill Jesus, in some ways the momentum of Jesus has never been stronger. And it's like the disciples are feeling and they're thinking like, man, he's going to take over. I mean, it's about our time. We're going to be a big hit now and we're going to be the leaders and we're going to be the rulers. But Jesus going to Jerusalem, he had something different in mind. I mean, he knows what's coming. I mean, he had told him, he he tried to warn them that his death was near and, and that there was going to be all kind of suffering. But you know, they really can't get it and they can't see it because they're living their life looking in the mirror. So on the last night, he takes this opportunity to help them begin to understand how they can better see their purpose and, and understand how they can achieve their purpose for their life. And he doesn't just say something. 
Instead, he does something. And, and John, I mean, he was in the room with Jesus that evening. And he had been following Jesus for like three years. And he experienced it all. And John, it, it's like he takes time to record for us. And he, he looks back and he tells us what happened that evening. Here's what he said. You can follow along in your Bibles in John chapter 13. Here, here's what he says. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Now, this first verse in John 13, it's really John's way of saying, listen, looking back as one of his followers, we, we all begin to realize, looking back that Jesus knew exactly what was before him. Looking back, we remember he, he told us what was going to happen to him before it happened. He knew the pain, he knew the suffering, he knew the agony that awaited him. And so here's the big question. It's kind of like John going, hey, he knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go back to the Father. So what do you think was on Jesus' mind the evening that he knows he's about to suffer and die? What do you do or what do you think about? Or what would you imagine you would think about if you knew your death awaited you? Well, here's what Jesus did. And I'm going to tell you. I love verse 1 and 2, and here's why. Because years ago, I'll never forget when these verses really became alive in my heart. Because it totally changed how I view God's love for me. And I'm just praying that as we go through these verses this morning, that it will begin to change how you view God's love for you. Because when you get what John is saying about Jesus' love, not just for his disciples and, and not just for us, but for all mankind... I told someone sometime, I was like, these verses are just kind of like comfort food for our soul when we feel unlovable and we, we feel undeserving of love because we begin to understand how great God's love is for us. So here's what Jesus did when he knew that his death on the cross, his suffering was about to happen. Notice what happened. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, some of your Bible translations, instead of saying he loved them to the end, it, it might say something like this, this. He showed them how great his love was for them, or he showed them the full extent of his love. I love that phrase. He showed them the full measure of his love, how great his love was. In fact, his focus in that room that night, what John is telling us here in these first two verses is, his focus that night in that room was not on himself. It was loving well those that he deeply loved. And so now, John is writing about that experience and he's looking back on that experience and he's saying, listen, I just realized now that he wanted to love us in such a way that it would absolutely change us for the rest of our lives. In fact, he goes on to describe how Jesus did that. He said the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas. Let that sink in for just a moment. He had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So just keep in mind as we're reading through this story and looking at this story is that Jesus' enemy was in the room. His, his betrayer was sitting at the table having dinner with him. If you've ever been betrayed deeply by someone, 
you got to picture this. It's like Jesus' betrayer is sitting at dinner with him. And Jesus knows that because John tells us that Jesus already knows that Judas is betraying him. So Judas' betrayal, it's, it's no surprise to Jesus. And, and surely you're thinking, Jesus isn't going to show Judas the full measure of his love, is he? He's not going to be kind to him. I mean, th this guy is betraying Jesus at a level that no human being will ever experience the, the consequences of that level of betrayal because Jesus is going to have to suffer and die for the sin of all mankind because of this betrayal. He's got to experience these torment and the suffering for the sin of all mankind because of this betrayal. Well, John continues giving us a little bit more context. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. Now, this is so important for you to understand before you see how Jesus loved us, what the full measure of his love was for us. John says, hey, let me pause here for just a moment and let me explain how Jesus was able to love to the full extent of love even when there were some people in the room that were kind of unlovable. See, because if you really stop and think about it, I mean, Jesus did what he did, not, not because we're so lovable. It certainly wasn't because we deserve it or earned it. He, he did what he did because he knew his purpose. I mean, he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. I mean, his confidence and his security gave him the ability in his greatest moment of suffering and possibly could even have been like moment of despair. I mean, he was able to focus on others and fully love them even to the end. Now, here's why that idea of being secure in who you are in your relationship with God is so important for every one of us, and that is this. The depth at which you love is determined by the extent to which you are secure. You see, if you really stop and think about it, insecure people, which, how many of us are insecure, right? I mean, that's kind of all of us, right? It's hard to fully love people to the full extent because what happens is when we're feeling insecure, we're kind of preoccupied with ourselves. And when you're self-focused, you can't fully love. I mean, if you think about it this way, life lived looking in the mirror doesn't leave room to love. Because at that point, it becomes just really about me. And because Jesus was completely secure in who he is and, and whose he was, because Jesus was secure in his relationship with the Father, because he was secure in his purpose and his place in life. He, he had the ability to do life looking out the window and not just going, well, what about me? He, he had the ability, because he's not looking in the mirror and he's looking out the window, he had the ability in this moment, a moment that really could have been all about him and make it all about him, he was able to say, no, I'm going to make it all about them. And that confidence and that security let him show them that evening the full extent of his love. Now, here's what he did. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, 
and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his, wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now, for some of you, maybe you didn't grow up in church or you're just kind of figuring out this whole church thing and not real familiar with the Bible, and that's great. We're so glad that you're here because that's, that's why we exist as a church. This whole idea of washing somebody's feet, it might sound weird. But foot washing, when you entered a home in that that first century was kind of like common practice, and here's why. Because if you think about it, human beings weren't the only people who traveled up and down the dirt roads. I mean, you had like cows and horses and donkeys, and you can imagine all other kind of animals. So you can imagine what somebody's feet were like when they came into someone's home. So in, in that time, in any home that had like any level of prominence, there would always be someone who was made probably a servant at the front door who would greet you and they would wash your feet. They would wash their dirt off your feet before you entered into the room. See, that job, you need to understand this. This is why this is significant, significant of what Jesus did. That job was reserved for the person who was at the lowest level. They were considered the least in the gathering of people. Never under any circumstance would like a socially superior person wash the feet of somebody who was viewed as socially inferior. I mean, it just didn't happen. I mean, that was just absolutely unthinkable. So you can imagine what the disciples are thinking when Jesus got up and he grabbed the towel and then he walked over and picked up the basin and he poured water into that basin and he began to walk toward the disciples they might have even thought for just a moment maybe he's going to show us who is the least among us who is the lowest on the totem pole because maybe he's going to make one of us wash everybody's feet but then they begin to realize no that's not what he's doing and and to let him do what he was thinking of doing washing their feet that was just like unthinkable and embarrassing to them which is why Peter responds the way that he does he says he came to Simon Peter Jesus did he came to Simon Peter and Peter said Lord are you gonna wash my feet I mean like Jesus like you're superior I'm inferior you don't do that in our culture and Jesus replied you do not realize now what I'm doing but later you will understand no said Peter you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. In other words, Peter, Peter, you still don't understand. You still haven't figured this out. I mean, you still think that greatness comes through like prominence and power and position. You're still counting on like an earthly kingdom to give you what you want, some kind of purpose and meaning and fulfillment in life. But after you watch what I'm about to do now and even later for you, you'll realize that if you're my follower, Peter, you don't lead and love like people in an earthly kingdom do. In fact, if you remember what we looked at last week, I mean, the disciples, they're, they're arguing and they're jockeying for position of power in Jesus' new kingdom that they thought Jesus was going to create us in Mark chapter 10. In fact, I want to go back and kind of remind you because they're, they're sitting at Passover meal, they're arguing as well about who's going to be the greatest, which is what kind of prompted Jesus to get up to wash their feet. In fact, last week, here, here's what Jesus told them. You don't want to miss this. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's saying, listen, guys, you watch this all the time in everyday life. I mean, whenever people have power, they use it. They leverage it for their own benefit, for their own greatness. They use it to build like this self-centered kingdom. And then he goes on, he says, but not so with you, which is kind of Jesus' way of saying, guys, if you're going to follow me, it's not going to work that way because my kingdom is not like this self-centered kingdom. It's like you don't pursue greatness by serving yourself. In fact, he goes on, he says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then he tells them why this is true. For even the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Literally, Jesus is saying, I didn't come to set up this self-centered kingdom. So he's saying, listen, guys, if you're going to follow me, you can't live your life looking in the mirror. You've got to look out the window. You can't focus on you. Instead, you've got to focus on everyone around you. So again, on this last night, as he washes Peter's feet, he, he basically looks at him and saying, listen, Peter, we, we've talked about this just a few days ago, but you still don't understand it. You still don't get it. But I'm not just going to tell you how to be great, Peter. I, I'm going to show you how to be great. I, I'm not just going to teach you a lesson on how to be great. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. And when he finishes washing Peter's feet, God in human flesh washes Andrew's feet and James' feet and John's feet and Matthew's and Thomas's and Judas's. The very Judas who is betraying him. The one who deserved it, Jesus loved the least. He received it to the full extent. Jesus even washed his feet. And then after Jesus has finished washing all these guys' feet, he takes the water, he puts it back, he takes the towel and he puts it back and he says this, do you understand what I have done for you? He asks them, and of course the answer is, no, we don't, and we still don't, and we, we don't know why you would do that for us. I mean, we should have done this for you, and, and we're so embarrassed right now. We, we just, it was just demeaning and degrading for us. Well, Jesus goes on, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and rightly so, for that is what I am. In other words, you're not confused about who I am. I am who you think I am. I, I'm great, and, and I'm God, and I'm the most powerful person in this room. In fact, I'm the most powerful person in the universe. And I realize because of that, you, you think that I'm here to be served. And what I'm trying to teach you is, no, I'm not here to be served. I'm teaching you that the way to greatness, the path to purpose, is to serve. And so he goes on. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, I've totally flipped your idea of what the kingdom should look like. He said, you should wash one another's feet. And it's like, literally? And I think Jesus would go, yeah, like, if that's necessary. But there's a bigger point that Jesus is making. Here's what he says. I have set you as an example that you should do as I have done 
for you. So he says, listen, do you want to experience the wonderland of the purpose that God has for you? You want to be great? You want to know how to get the most out of whatever power and influence and, and even gifting and talents that you have? Jesus goes, here's how you do it. You look out the window and you use everything that you have for the benefit of others. You leverage everything that I've given you. He's saying, listen, for the good of those around you, you choose to serve others above yourself. And please, please don't miss this. That was true for Jesus. That was true for his disciples. And that is still true in 21st century. Because here's why. Serving will always create humility in you. In fact, James, some years later, he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and he will do what? He will exalt you in due time. Serving will always create a heart and an attitude of humility, and then humility will allow God to bring significance into your life. In other words, you could say it this way, serving is the pathway to significance or purpose or meaning. See, that's just how Jesus is saying that God designed the world to work, serving others. It's not about how many people serve you. It's not about all your prominence. It's, it's not those things. But serving is the pathway to significance. It's not about the amount of money that you have in the bank. It's, it's not whatever titles you have or whatever positions you hold or whatever awards you've received or not how successful you've been in your career. Serving is the pathway to significance. So according to the Jesus model, if you want to find purpose and meaning in your life, here is where you start. Purpose is always found across the border of what's in it for me. See, that's where purpose is found. It's always found looking out the window at everyone else. Purpose, you'll never find your purpose looking in the mirror. It's not found by asking God, God, what's your plan for my life? It's found by saying, God, what's your plan? And then giving my life fully to it. See, it's not found by like pursuing this self-centered kingdom. It's found when you cross the border into the other-centered kind of kingdom that Jesus came to create. In fact, we said it this way last week. Once it's not about you, then you will see clearly what you were created to do. And the problem for most of us, in fact, some of you even said that. It's like, man, that sounds real fun. And I've said that in my life. That doesn't sound real fun. I'm not even sure I want that. I kind of want life to be about me sometimes, don't we? And, and you know, you, you could, we can tell Jesus that. I mean, we could feel free to do that and tell him that we think, you know, that we're a little bit better than him, that we deserve to be served instead of serving. We could even say, hey, we've come up with a better way. We, we'd like to make it about ourselves. But here's what Jesus would say to every one of us. He's going to say the same thing that he told his disciples. He said, very, tru very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you, don't miss this word, know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Can we all just be kind of honest with ourselves for just a moment? Every one of our camps, can, can we kind of be honest for just a moment with ourselves? See, here's the problem. Here's why so few of us actually live a life 
of purpose, meaning, fulfillment, feeling like that, man, we understand what God has called us to do and designed us to do, and we're living out what God created us to do. You know why most of us don't feel like that we're living out God's purpose for our life and, and have a life of meaning and fulfillment in our life? You know why? Here's why. Because we know, but we don't do. I mean, think about it. Whether you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower, I mean, you know that you were created for a purpose much greater than you. You know that you're too small a purpose to live for. I mean, you, you know that like dividing, uh, devoting your life to like your little kingdom, while it gives you like moments of pleasure and satisfaction, it leaves you ultimately longing for satisfaction. And if you're a Christ follower, I mean, you, you kind of know that Jesus has called us to devote our lives to an other-centered kind of kingdom. We know that serving is the pathway to significance, and we know that purpose is found across the border of just what's in it for me. But here's the problem. Knowing doesn't work. Knowing doesn't bring about, like, great life change. Here's the thing. Knowing doesn't cause you to put down the mirror. Jesus says you, ha you have to do. You have to serve. You have to step over and, and look out the window and decide, you know, it's not about me anymore. And, and here's the reality. Once it's not about you anymore, then you will clearly see what you're created to do. Then, then your purpose begins to come in view and you start seeing what God is doing all around you. It's why as Jesus was wrapping up this conversation with these guys that John tells us, he says, listen, there, there's something that will help you understand your purpose in a greater way than what you could ever imagine. And, and we just kind of finished this series built on this idea called brand new. And here, here's what Jesus said. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. And while it's kind of like a new command, the idea of loving one another, that wasn't a brand new thing to them because they'd heard Jesus talk about it. I mean, it was said in the Old Testament as well. But, but kind of what is new about this whole thing of a new command is more than just loving people when they deserve it. It's just more than loving someone when there's something in it for you. In fact, Jesus said this way in Luke chapter 6, verse 32. He says, you know, if you love those people that love you, what credit is that to you? Because even the pagans do that. I mean, even the people who don't consider God to be part of their life and existence, they even love those people that are lovable. So Jesus comes along and says, no, a new command I give you, I want you to love one another, which is Jesus' kind of way of saying, listen, if you want to be great, greatness isn't about loving the people that are just easy to love or that love you back. But greatness happens when you choose to love everyone around you, including those people you don't want to love. It's a new commandment because Jesus is redefining what love one another looks like. Remember how Jesus defined it? As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's saying, literally, as I just showed you by washing your feet, and as I'm about to show you, because I'm not done showing you. I'm not done serving you. Literally, Jesus is saying this. He says, I took the towel off my waist so I could put the cross on my back.
I am giving my life for you. I'm going to be crucified, and there's nothing in it for me. I'm doing this because I love you, and I want to serve you out of love. I'm doing it for you to make a way for you to be forgiven, completely forgiven, and to have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. So to follow me, it's so much more than just loving people when it's easy to love or serving when there's something in it for you. He's saying, listen, now you love and you serve when it costs you. And he goes a little bit farther. He says, here's why. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another by what you do. Which means that living a life of purpose, it starts with this decision. It really does. It starts with this decision here that I'm going to put down the mirror. And I am going to look out the window. And I'm going to focus on serving those around me. Because the reality is, Jesus is saying, it's not about you. Purpose is found across the border of what's in it for me. Listen, what Jesus is really saying in this passage is you will never find God's purpose for your life if your motivation is not love. Now, I know this up close and personal because I can tell you years ago, man, I had this motivation to be great. And my whole reason for wanting to discover my purpose was to be significant, to be noticed, to be known. And what I learned through that experience of God taking me through a process of seven, eight, ten years of just breaking me down, I mean, breaking me down so much, I, I ended up living in my, in my in-law's basement for six years. See, you can't get any lower than living under your in-laws. It just doesn't get any lower than that. But here's the reality. Well, what I discovered through that whole process is you'll never discover your God-given purpose if your motivation is not love. So, so don't miss this. If you want to discover your purpose, if you want to experience meaning and fulfillment in life, and, and let me just say this before, um, before I tell you what it is, what you got to do to discover your God-given purpose in life, and if you were with us, you know, stayed with us through the whole brand new series that we just went through, some of you are going to think, wow, Paul, are y'all ever going to speak about anything else? I mean, some of you are going to think, well, you're kind of senile. You kind of lost it because, I mean, you guys keep coming back to this one truth. But here is the truth. And, and we've discovered this as we've kind of dug into this whole purpose thing. And it's our whole entire Christian life. It hangs on this. And the whole New Testament really is simply a how-to book through this one question. And here's the question. And we gave it to you in the brand new series. And that is this. So what does love require of me? In every situation and every conversation you have this week, here's where you start to find your purpose in life. That's what Jesus is saying. You just ask this question right here. What does love require of me? Saying, saying if I loved like Jesus, what, what would I do with the people I like, with the people I don't like? What does love require of me in this situation? When it benefits you, when it won't benefit you, when it costs you something, when it doesn't cost you something, ask yourself this question, what does love require of me? 
In fact, as we told you several weeks ago in the brand new series, this is the amazing thing about this question, is every time you ask this question, you pretty much already know the answer to it, don't you? And some of you are saying, yeah, but I really was kind of tapping into the series because I really want to know my specific purpose in life and what's going to make me do something great for God in this life. Well, this, according to Jesus, is the path to discover your specific purpose. See, if you choose to live by this question right here, what does love require of me? While the answer will be different every day and in every situation, whether you're in school or whether you're in work or whether you're at home, no matter where you are at, the truth is this. If you ask this question right here, it will lead you to discover your purpose, and this question will always lead you to serving others because the reality is serving is the pathway to significance. And some of you are going, oh, I get that, but I really want to, I want to be great at something. I, I want to know what my purpose is. And I just want to say, if, if you continue to live your life going, I want to know what my purpose is, before love is the motivation of knowing your purpose, you'll never discover your purpose. But here's what we will tell you. Keep coming back over the next few weeks, and we'll start helping you understand how you can discover what your specific purpose is in life. But understand this. Please understand this. It doesn't start with you knowing your specific purpose. That's not where you start to begin to discover your purpose. It starts right here, and that is this. Purpose is always found across the border of what's in it for me. Because, see, the reality is, as you're doing life tomorrow in school, as you're doing life tomorrow at work, as you're doing life this afternoon in your home, you still may not have discovered what your specific purpose is in life, but you always know what love requires of you to do, don't you? Which is why, whenever you want to really get serious about this whole thing of discovering your purpose, it has to start with the motivation of love. So kind of here's our big challenge for you this week. Well, will you lean into this? Because see, you know, you know it. And Jesus said, yeah, you know this, but you got to do this. Because see, this is where greatness is found. Greatness is never found looking in the mirror. Greatness is never found making it all about you. See, you got to understand this. Your purpose will never be discovered looking at yourself. Your purpose will only be discovered when you look out the window and ask yourself the question, what does love require of me? Because purpose is always found across the border of what's in it for me. Come back next week and we'll help you begin to start nailing down what your specific purpose is. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this moment. It's just this moment in time when we get to pause and ask ourselves, what is the real motivation for us trying to discover our purpose, our, our meaning in life? And, and today we're saying, God, we're going to lay down that mirror and, and we're going to look out the window. And, and we're just going to ask ourselves this question that is the foundation for helping us discover meaning, significance, and purpose in life. 
And that is, what, what does love require of me in every situation this week? What does it require? And so, Heavenly Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit will just come now and help us all to be able to live out that commitment of asking that. And I just want to thank you that as we begin to ask and, and we begin to understand that our whole purpose is found in the pathway and through the pathway of serving, God, that as we begin to serve out of love, you'll reveal to us and you'll start showing, you'll make it clear to us what you've really designed us to do. Thank you for your incredible love that no matter who we are or what we've done, you will always love us with a full measure to the full extent of love. Thank you for that, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.